Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Wiping his hands in the white towel off his belt buckle. It's rushed with the shotgun snap. That pedals and throws to the near side. Touchdown! Well, that was the moment for our good friend Christopher David Sims, who was at his first Giants game in a long time last night when the worm turned decisively in the direction of the Dallas Cowboys. PFT Live presented by Google Pixel on a Tuesday morning. I'm impressed that you made it. I was concerned that I was going to get a text message at some point between 5 and 6 a.m. that Chris is under the weather or Chris is hungover or Chris... Just didn't come home, slept at the stadium. Who knows? But I'm glad you made it. I made it. It had to be a disappointing night. That's the one thing that sucks about going to sporting events. There's a 50-50 shot, roughly speaking, that you're going to be upset (laughs) when it's over. Yeah, no doubt about it. It was it was awesome. It really was. It was great to be there. It's been like twenty over twenty years since I've been there. My kids never being there before. So uh, all of that was amazing. Yeah. Going out on an L like that, you know, with with keeping it close, keeping it ugly kind of throughout the game, and then getting home. That that was the other part, Mike, that, you know, you just forget about, like, going to a sporting event, especially on a Monday night on the East Coast. I mean, the parking lot's at a standstill. You're sitting there. It's 1230. My daughter, who, of course, is a sophomore in high school, she's yelling at me. Why didn't we leave earlier? Why do we still hear? What's going on? Why aren't we moving? So we had a lot of different experiences last night in the Sims family uh, dealing, <laughs> dealing with MetLife Stadium and, and Monday Night Football. So the game ends, I'd say it was, and I'm looking at the official time, start time 8.15. I don't see exactly when it ended, but it was like around 11.15, 11.20 ish. I was just saying, yeah, what maybe. What time do you walk through the door? Right. I walked through the door at the house uh, at about 1.10 in the morning. So, yeah, it was it was a little hard getting out of there, certainly. So 110, 
You know, and, and, you know, it's funny. I'm at the age, like, with my kids where when we go in the stadium, you know, they're embarrassed by everything, right? Let's take a picture. Oh, gosh, we don't want to do that. Can we just go to our seats? And, you know, we get all that type of stuff. They're nervous about it. They think people are watching them. So uh, there was that. But then once we sat down, we settled in. My little boy loved it. He was sitting there waving, his, waving the white flag, doing that. My little girl could have cared less, and uh, my wife is very much into it. But, yeah, I, I don't think I went to bed till about one fifty, Mike, and uh, I'm a little tired today, to say the least. <laughs> you look tired. Thank Total you. game time, <laughs> three hours and 11 minutes. And we have now proven that you are capable of getting home at 1 and doing the show the next morning. Oh, we look proven. at you. Yes, thank you. We yes, have this proven group. that you right. are physically able to do it. <laughs> well, maybe so, I'll do it next I time got- you come up. Yeah, I got back to my house at about two minutes after the game ended because I was down in the barn. I jumped in the little four-wheeler that we have and rolled up the hill and went straight to bed because it was a long day. It was a long couple of days being back in New York City. I have now learned what never means for me. I said I would never go back to New York City four weeks ago. It lasted four exactly weeks. four weeks. <laughs> okay, back it was it was a better experience at least? Did you, you like a little better this time around compared to last yeah, time? Yeah, because I didn't have to actually I didn't have to actually go anywhere. Okay. I didn't have to go out and walk around. Right. I did walk down to 30 Rock to do the show yesterday morning, but nobody was out that early. So it, it was fine. It was fine. Had a great weekend though. Great okay, weekend. Good. Great to be back in studio good. even though you basically ignored me uh most of the time and you called Matthew Berry on the air. Your best buddy, <laughs> I which know. really left me hurt. And I almost like blurted out, hey, from the other side of the studio when you said it. That was my first instinct, but I figured that would be frowned upon. Well, I got uh, some, yeah, I got some I where crap. I, stand. I got some crap for that uh, also on, on the, you know, our, our postgame show on Peacock from Amon Farid. He gave that to me, too, because, he, of course, I do the podcast with him. And I told him, I was like, I misspoke. I was like, we thought we were going to have Javante Williams B-roll there. I got a little caught up. I was like, you know, I told Ahmed Farid, I was like, Matthew Berry's not my best buddy. And I was like, Mike Florio is, then you. Okay, so I, I kind of put good. it that way. So I corrected it. Don't worry there, Slugger. Good, good. <laughs> if, I, if I actually listened to your podcast, I would have known that. Thank so you. Yeah, yeah. Maybe now I should start listening yeah. to it. Um, the, the experience at the game, though, I'm curious. If your kids are, right. are embarrassed by everything, I mean, you know, you're, you're on Football Night in America – and your dad was a very prominent Giants quarterback. Right. I have a feeling that plenty of people in the fan base see that big giant head and, first of all, think it's Phil or, and then realize it's you. And I'm sure that people called out your name a few times. Definitely. How do the kids react when that happens? They're okay. I mean, they're, they're a little used to that. My little boy loves it. He loves that. You know, he, he's, he's amazed by it. He loved seeing people in the Phil Sims jersey last night, you know, picking his name out with the other retired players and jerseys, all that. He loves it. My little girl, you know, she's cool, but, you know, she's 16 and a teenager and is also just like, oh, gosh, oh, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't care that much. Uh, but it was, it was a great area. We sat in the mezzanine level, right? Uh, I was, you know, amongst the people throughout the night, getting food, whatever else, and uh, the crowd was great. You know, you got to deal, of course, as you know, in a game like that, I would say if there was 65,000 people there, there was 10,000 Cowboy fans there, pretty strong, and, you know, the, the stadium itself is cool. I miss old Giant Stadium, but the stadium was cool, and uh, the kids reacted pretty well for the most part for, for the Sims calls and everything like that. 
By the way, one of the reasons your daughter is probably embarrassed by everything you say and do is you still call her your little girl. I understand. <laughs> she'll always be daddy's little You sound like my wife. At a certain point, <laughs> a certain point daddy's little girl isn't going to want to be called that anymore. And probably at 16, you're, right. you're, you're close yeah. to the over. You're right. I know. Uh, i got to break that habit. <laughs> Once again, the show is PFT Live presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. We're on Peacock, Sirius XM 85. No longer live on Sky Sports NFL, so we can say shit again, Chris. If you shit. We're wondering about that. I don't know how Kristen feels about it because now she's got to bleep it out. But, uh, yes, we, we're no longer – she hates it. And, and she hates us. Oh, we're no longer live on Sky Sports NFL. That is something I have vented about. On Friday and Monday without Chris here, I am now in serenity now mode. I accept. I've gone through, what is it, anger, denial, bargaining, depression, acceptance. I'm at acceptance, and I accept the fact that regardless of when we're on, we've got some folks there that for some reason really enjoy the show. They watch the show, and we appreciate each of you very much, along with the folks in the United States who watch the show and any other country or planet for that matter. Who knows where these signals are ending up? Somewhere, light years away, there's somebody who's discovered football and also understands English and enjoys the program. Um, I enjoyed the game last night because I had a bad week picking games. It was starting off great at the 1 o'clock games on Sunday, and then I was wrong every game in the late afternoon window. I was wrong, as we all were, except for Matthew Barry with that Sunday night debacle that got good at the end. That's the thing about a bad game. A bad game can be bad for 55 minutes if the last five minutes are good you kind of forget you're right all the crap you sat through and that kind of applied last night too it was kind of bad for a while yeah. until it got going and then really in the second half it got going yeah agreed i mean you know the one thing being there and of course that the experience being there is so different don't get to see all the replays and everything like that but hey yeah there's the the game itself it was ugly the first half was really ugly you know the giants kind of just hanging around I will say, like in person, Mike, just seeing the two teams, it was pretty evident right away that the Cowboys were like the bigger, more physically imposing in person and the faster team in person, definitely. So the fact that, you know, hey, they came back, won the football game, it's not shocking to me. Uh, It's not shocking to me. But, yes, the Giants have to play a certain style. The Giants really, you know, when it's all said and done – you know, there's not a lot to hang your hat on, you know, and I think that's why the game's not always going to be enjoyable or it's not going to be enjoyable with the Giants. They're ugly. They got to make the ugly, the game ugly to hang around. They don't got some of the horses and some of the playmakers that the Cowboys do, even though I know the Cowboys got some injuries and are not even at full strength. But, like, credit to Cooper Rush. I think that's the first place you got to start right there. Down 13-6 on the road. Seems like the momentum's all on the Giants' side. Man, we blew some mistakes before that. CeeDee Lamb should have caught a long pass. We should have more points. And then just, you know, bing, bong, boom, few handoffs right down the field, 13-all. And then, and then, and then of course, to, to make it 20-13 um, to 13, the very next drive. Giants go out. They go right back down again. I mean, it looked like a machine. It was just a well-oiled machine there at the end, and they kind of took over the football game and never looked back from that point. Cowboys led at the half 6-3. to three. The Giants came out with a methodical 10-play 42-yard right. drive. 51-yard field goal by Graham Gano tied it up at 6. Three and out by the Cowboys, which was the first three and out of the night. Right. And then that's when the Giants seemingly seized momentum in the game. Right. That was when Saquon Barkley woke up. The 36-yard touchdown run looked awesome. like 20 
18 all over again for Saquon Barkley. And it felt like that was it. 13-6, they stop him again. It's going to be 20-6, and it's going to be night-night for the Dallas Cowboys. Look at that cut, and then he breaks oh, to the man. outside, slips a tackle, and then cuts it. And it's just uh, Trayvon Diggs has no chance at getting him. And, and that's vintage Saquon Barkley. He plays like that. Even though they lost last night, they're going to win plenty of games. Yeah, he's he's a special talent. I mean, he's definitely the guy on the Giants football team, all right? And I know we'll talk about Dallas because they won and all that, but he's one of the, he's definitely the, the, the superstar that jumps out for sure. He's the one guy that can make a play off schedule or, hey, wait, the hole's big, yeah, but now I can make two people miss and outrun somebody for a touchdown. You know, that's the other thing you just come come to terms with watching them in person. There's not a lot of, like – real fast, explosive football players on the Giants. I mean, guys like C.D. Lamb and Noah Brown look like they're on a different planet compared to the, some of the Giants receivers. So, yeah, I think, you know, that's something that the Giants are going to need here going down the stretch. Get the ball in Saquon's hands because he can take a little pressure off the football team. I mean, between him and Daniel Jones, they really got to do it all. I know Daniel Jones' stats aren't going to look all that great and all that either. But, you know, again, I'm going to go into the sitting in the seats, watching the game, Mike, where I am. Man, there's not a lot of people open. There's not. And there's no receivers to sit there and talk about and go, ooh, wow, whoa, the Cowboys are scared of him. Look at this. They better double him. There's none of that. So it was Saquon and Daniel Jones kind of keeping them in it ugly, like you mentioned, and then, you know, kind of uh, Dallas. And, and really, I think just the better football team started to wear them down. You mentioned C.D. Lamb earlier. We showed the catch at the top of the show. He right. had multiple drops earlier in the game. And to Cooper Rush's credit, he kept going to him. They're trying to will him into being that number one receiver. And all of a sudden, when the game was on the line, he starts making plays. And then he makes the catch one-handed in the end zone to put the Cowboys ahead 20-13. to 13. Here's C.D. Lamb after the game on the redemption that he achieved after his drops in the first half. I appreciate Kel for trusting in me and all the guys, you know, believing in my ability. And uh, you know, it was it was it was tough. It was a tough, you know, third quarter. Just kind of thinking about. I kept thinking about it. All the guys just kept preaching to me to you know, let it go, let it go. We still got more game left. And then uh, fourth quarter, when I kept hearing my number being called, I knew it was my opportunity again. So I had to step up. It was like a situation where I had to deal with more, most importantly, on my own. You know, obviously just understanding that I, I'm the one that dropped the ball for the guys. So. Knowing that I had to make this up in the back end of the game, understanding that it was going to take it, like the game was going to go to a wire, go down to the wire, and I had to step up. It was mandatory. Des Bryant was there, the guy who wore 88 before C.D. Lamb, and he was dismayed at first, but after the game, I saw a report from Michael Gelkin of the Dallas Morning News. Des Bryant goes into the locker room and says that's how 88s do it. Yes, in the second half, not in the first half, but that's the catch. That's how you win football games. That's how you take advantage of superior talent, and that's what they need him to do. That's why they let Amari Cooper go with that trade to the Cleveland Browns. They expect him to step up into that role. It's taken a little while, and it's not clear that he's there yet. He's got to put a whole game together and not have those drops, but that's the kind of play that he needs to make to justify why he's wearing 88 and why he's the number one receiver on the Cowboys. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, they need they continue to need that play, certainly. And, you know, the, the no negative plays that we saw in the first half. But, yeah, they're going to have to ride him. They are. And especially until Michael Gallup gets back, right? You know, takes a little pressure off him, gives the defense another guy to worry about. Whoa, his speed, you know, along with CeeDee Lamb and then Noah Brown, you start to go, all right, that's scary. You know, we don't know where we want to defend the Dallas Cowboys. And then we see 
the run game kind of come along a little too. I mean, it was it was a successful night on the ground for the Cowboys. I mean, it didn't matter. Even the bad runs, it seemed like they pushed a pile forward for five, six yards. Ezekiel Elliott looked good, you know, running power football. And then, as we talked about, Tony Pollard's the guy, you know, that, that can do some explosive, fun things on the football field. He's a special talent. There's no doubt. He's another guy, Mike, in person. He jumps out as far as, like, whoa, his ability to turn the corner or hit a hole where you go, it looks like he's moving a little faster than Ezekiel Elliott or some of the other guys on the football field. But Dallas, I think the encouraging thing here is, like, no Dak Prescott, but learning to play as a team and finding balance and finding grit and tough and, you know, managing the game that way and just taking advantage of the big opportunities or at least the opportunities are there. And then, like, in, you know, Jerry's world, hey, you know, my, my stars will get it done in the big moments. And, you know, his stars got it done in the big moment last night. They did. They're all helping the quarterback throughout throughout the roster, whether it's, you know, the receivers, the running backs, the defense, which absolutely played phenomenal. It was all over Daniel Jones all night. So I think that's the positive for the Cowboys that they're 2-1 and one without Dak Prescott. Let's focus on the running backs a little bit longer. Yeah. Tony Pollard had his first 100-yard rushing game since week five of last season. That was the first 100-yard rushing game for any Cowboys player since week five of last season. That's crazy. 13 carries, 105. You saw the graphic, Ezekiel Elliott, 15 for 73 and a touchdown. And we saw the look a couple times. If you were watching the highlights there, Tony Pollard – kind of came in motion with Ezekiel Elliott lined up behind the quarterback, and they gave the ball to him. There was a key third down in the game where they they set it up where it looked like Pollard was going to take it outside and handed it off quickly to Ezekiel Elliott. Up the middle. Up the middle. Right. So you get both those guys on the field. The teams understand on defense what these two guys can do, and you can't ignore it. And no. that makes it easier for them each to do whatever it is that they're expected to do. Yeah, that's right. And I think when you, you know, couple that with Tony Pollard's like skill set of where I think slowly but surely he might get infused into some receiver roles and catching the ball there, it can make it more dangerous as far as, yeah, you know, what are they gonna do? You know, how are they gonna attack us here with these two guys? There's a lot of options, you know, Pollard on the edge, Ezekiel it up the middle. Pollard in the receiving game. Oh, wait, now we got a linebacker covering him. That's a problem. So uh, I can imagine that's you know a, a road they're going to continue to go down, certainly. But, yeah, plays like that, a little creativity from Dallas just in the right moments, playmaking ability. And I'll give Mike McCarthy a lot of credit, too. I think one of the things that's going to go kind of forgotten about the game a little bit is, it, what was it, fourth and three, Mike? Uh, Thirteen all, kind of just going, wait, we're in the balance of the game. We kind of got the momentum. We're around the 41 or 42-yard line, if I remember correctly, and then just go, and you know what? I, I think it's time to you know put our foot on their throat and kind of just show that we are the better team here and kind of end this football game, and they hit the little quick pass right in the slot. You know, I, I felt like that was another huge chain, you know, turning point of the football game where Dallas certainly took control, and it just seemed like they never looked back after that. Well, that was the drive that culminated in the C.D. Lamb touchdown right, catch. It was right. a pass from Rush to Lamb on fourth and four that just got to the sticks. I mean, it was very, very quick, close, bang, right? Bang, and and but but they, they, there wasn't even much of a controversy over it. They gave him the first down and and off they. Was it and, worth the challenge uh, or anything like that? You know, that's the one thing you miss in the stadium, like because it, it 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 did look bang bang. They showed one little quick replay in the stadium, and I went, "Ooh, man, I don't know if he actually got." 
to the sticks, and they kind of hurried up and ran a play pretty quickly after that, if you remember, too, because I don't think they were quite sure either. Uh, but you, you, you think he got it, or at least it wasn't worth challenging? It happened so fast, and they kept moving that you just kind of move on. It's yeah. like, oh, well, there's yeah. that. When right. they don't stop the game to look at it, you never really get a chance to assess whether or not he got it. But it looked like he did. But, again, it all happened so fast. Like you said, to their credit, the Cowboys keep moving, and the Giants chose not to uh, put the brakes on the game. The <laughs> Cowboys quarterback, Dak Prescott, may want to put the brakes on Cooper Mania. Cooper rushes now 3-0 and as a starter. Dating back to last year in prime time against the Vikings. He has another prime time win over the New York Giants on Monday night. Dak Prescott, and this came up during the broadcast. Lisa Salters was talking about her conversation with Dak Prescott. He had the stitch. It was one long stitch removed from the incision where he had surgery to repair the broken bone above his thumb. He hasn't ruled out coming out sooner than later. He also hasn't ruled out playing week four. Nothing heals that thumb faster than Cooper Rush making throws like that. It reminds me of last year when Geno Smith had a really good game against the Jaguars for the Seahawks. The next week, Russell was back. Yeah, right. And I don't know that it's smart. And all that noise last week from Jerry Jones about having a dilemma. Uh, I want a dilemma, right? Yeah. Yeah, between Cooper Rush and Dak Prescott, what does that do? That that applies subtle or not so subtle pressure or subtle pressure on Dak Prescott to come back before he's ready to push to come back. Do you really want to do that, Jerry? Do you really want Dak Prescott back before he's ready because you're spouting off about the possibility of Cooper Rush taking over the job? That's just lunacy. I mean, it's it's funny when it happens and it gets us talking about the Cowboys but when you think about the impact it has psychologically on Dak Prescott and what it will do to get him to maybe come back before he's ready that hurts the team if he's not ready again it all comes down to what percent do you want your starter at where it's preferred to having a 100% healthy backup well that number's higher if Cooper Rush is getting it done and now Dak's going to Dak's going to press, and he's going to push. He doesn't want to stand on the sidelines and watch the team win. Who wants to do that? They're going to, you know, no, they keep right. winning. They keep winning. Well, I'm just standing here. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm yelling at the guys, and I'm not in uniform, and there's nothing I can do. He wants to get back and play, and I think he'll be back by week five. I think we'll definitely see him by Sunday night week six when they play the Eagles. I think he'll definitely be back by then. But he may be back week five. I think they have the Rams week five. But You're right. I, I don't I don't see it. I don't see it this weekend. And if it happens, it will just underscore what a mistake it was for Jerry Jones to talk about having a dilemma between his two quarterbacks. Well, I, I, I'm with you there. Like, first off, why rush it? Why risk the rest of the season? Right. I mean, we know that. And I mean, there's no there's no teams that we look at right now that we go, oh, they're going to run away with, you know, the NFC and you might get left in the dust as far as playoffs are concerned. I mean, you know, we know Philadelphia is really good in the NFC East and they want to keep pace with them. I get that. But, you know, and then, you know, you make the point, too, of it's Washington next week who hasn't been playing very well. You know, why rush it there? Right. Give it all the time it can. Again, it's not about the end of September, early October. We want to it's about December and January. But Jerry seems like he's been pushing this from the get go. I mean, it was 
you know, I, I, listen, I've been around the league and football and the thumb, and I think we and most medical professionals, everybody, when they heard that injury, yeah, that might be six to eight weeks, five to eight weeks. And I know we're not experts, but we've all been around the league and the game a little bit. Thumb's very important throwing. And Jerry literally, like, the next day was like, hey, the surgery's good. It looks like he might be back in three or four weeks. We're not going to put him on IR. It, it seems like he's putting, put, putting the pressure on him from the start, really. So I'm, I'm with you amazing. there, Mike. I know. Amazing how that timeline dramatically shifted from what we thought it was in the aftermath of the Monday night opener against or Sunday night, excuse me, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. And there's just been that sense of we want him back, we want him back. We and paid you all this you money, you got hurt last year. You know, we need exactly. to, you know, you know, it's all it's a little of that pressure, right? That's what I feel at least. Not only did we give you all this money, but you took all this money. Right. You you had us over a barrel and you took full advantage of it. And we're still not happy about it. And I wonder how much of that creeps into the attitude. I'm with you. That, I'm with you. That, that we got pushed into doing what we thought was a bad deal. Right. $40 million a year on a four-year contract, where as a practical matter, they have to renegotiate after year three. Or he's walking out the door after year four, or at least hitting the open market yeah. and having his value set there. I'm sure there's still some lingering resentment. And, and what do you do, Chris, if he comes back and – He's healthy enough to play, but he's not playing well. Like last year when Russell Wilson wasn't himself again. What, what do you do at that point? You can't take him out once he's back in. Not really. No, you you're him, right. You him, so it's the old Dennis Green 100% rule. Right. I remember he did it in 1998 with Brad Johnson and Randall Cunningham. Johnson breaks his lower leg week two against the Rams. Cunningham comes in and has a career rebirth. Guy was out of football for all of the 1996 season, was a backup of the Vikings in 97, and took the league by storm in 98. So when's Brad Johnson coming back? When he's 100%. He's our starting quarterback, and he plays when he's 100%. And he never played again, except maybe in some some garbage time later yeah, in the year. Yeah, real Randall late Cunningham, in the year. like had a knee thing. Nothing much from Brad Johnson the rest of the year, and he was never 100% enough to be the starter again. Now, you can't do that. You you can't do that with Dak Prescott, but you can at least give him the full allotment of time necessary to recover from this thumb surgery. We're not saying keep him on the bench until Thanksgiving. We're just saying making sure, make sure he's healthy and, and let and let this hot hand. You got a hot hand. The dice are hot with Cooper Rush. Keep That's rolling right. them. Right. Win a game here. Win a game there, and then you'll know when to bring Dak Prescott back. So I I just I think that this is going to be harder to do with each passing week. With each passing win, it's going to be harder to keep Dak Prescott out. Yeah, it, it, it does. It seems that way. Yeah, one, him personally, two, Jerry Jones. And I think you're right. I think all those politics and, and hey, facts of the matter that, hey, uh, we pay our stars. We paid you after your, you know, your right foot was turned right, right uh, you know, sideways on the football field. We still invested in you. You know, I think there's all of that. They, they, they push their team that way. They do. But you're right. You just want to be careful here. You do. You don't want to rush him back, and, you know, we've discussed that before. Like you said, the 100% rule or even, you know, what I've seen in my time in the NFL or New England. The New England, I always bow to them and what they do in their process. You know, they'd have guys hurt. I know it's not the quarterback, but let them practice a little bit. Get a week of practicing without having to play so we can get used to the movements and things like that. I would think that's something you want to do as far as, hey, throwing the football. They're going to need Dak Prescott, and we know that. They are. You know, again, Cooper Rush is very good. I'm really happy for him. There's no doubt the team's playing well around him. But he's not making any plays to where we go, oh, wow, 
whoa, 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 they wouldn't be winning this game if it weren't Cooper Rush. No, there were some opportunities there in the first half. You know, I know they were up 6-3, but there was a few plays and third downs where I went, man, that, that guy was open. Like if Dak Prescott was in there, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that would have been as good for the Giants. I don't think that would have been knocked up in the air, you know, just as the ball got there. So the, he's going to take over some games at some points and do some things that Cooper Rush is not capable of. But right now, you're right. Ride the hot wave. They're playing balanced football. The defense has got it going. You know, don't, don't rush it and then set the team back and, and kind of lose your mojo. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Go. The defense also yeah, had we a got major talking, role in what right? happened last night for the yeah. Cowboys. I saw Shefty tweet today there were 24 total quarterback hurries in the game. They sacked Daniel Jones five times. He had 12 total quarterback hits. I mean, he was getting banged around, and he just hung in there. He he knew that this was one of the moments. If he's going to prove himself to the Giants or anyone else, he's got to step up on a night like that. The team 2-0, chance to get to 3-0, chance to end Monday night losing streak. But, boy, they got after him all night long, Chris. They really did, Mike. And, you know, I, I don't mean to keep saying you know, in person, in person, but I was there in person and had a great view of it. And it just, you know, this is – uh, Daniel Jones was fantastic. He was fantastic. He really was. I mean, those numbers are eye-popping. That's ridiculous that an NFL quarterback has to be under pressure like that. He's under pressure like that most weeks. That's why I defend him a little bit. I know he's never going to be Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, but I do feel for a guy that as soon as he gets the ball, you know, Instead of like the last few years where it's get the ball and like, oh crap, let me duck. Oh crap, let me duck. Now he gets to go, you know, set how he gets the ball and he gets to pat it once. And then he goes, oh crap, let me duck. I mean, that's, that's the improvement we're talking about in the offensive line. I mean, the Evan Neal, the rookie right tackle, he got schooled by Demarcus Lawrence and, and even Micah Parsons, who just got pressure in that. But yes, Mike, I mean, that was something that was really, and I think even if we just showed those clips again, too, under pressure with nobody open downfield, that's the double whammy. And it isn't for Daniel Jones' ability to run and move. They get, they get dominated last night. That game's not even close. His legs saved the day for three quarters. And, and just him avoiding sacks and making a throw on the move and doing that from here, you know, from time to time. And it just is, it's tough to play quarterback. And, you know, I, I, I don't like that the Giant fans don't support him a little bit more. I guess that's what I'm trying to say, too. It bothered me in the stands, too, that people always want to put it on him. It's not on him. The Giants offense ain't that good. There ain't anybody to be scared of. He doesn't have a C.D. Lamb. Or, you know, a, a great offensive line or any of that. Cooper, Cush got, Cooper Rush got the throw with a great pocket all night. Daniel Jones was under duress the whole night. Here's Brian Dayball, head coach of the New York Giants, on the performance of his quarterback, Daniel Jones, last night. I thought he did a good job. I thought he made a lot of loose plays. I don't know, he had, what, about 80 yards rushing. I thought he did a good job keeping his eyes downfield when he could get out. You know, he made a couple plays there at the end, you know, that we couldn't quite convert on. Hit some drop passes. Um, you know, the last play that, that Diggs picked off, Sills fell down, and he, it was a timing throw. Um, again, I was, you know, I think he's making progress. 
you know, it's tough after a loss. You know, nobody did well enough, and we understand that. But uh, I think he's he's making progress, and he fought, he battled. You know, he, he made some made some really good plays out there under some duress. You know, a point that you've made in the past that I still pay attention to with Daniel Jones. Has he really accelerated the clock in his head? There was at least one time last night where he was getting chased down. It's like, dude, you got to realize you got to get rid of the ball. Yeah, throw it you away. Do something. Throw it you away. Just throw right. it away. Yeah. Because they're catching you. Right. They're going to catch you before you can do it. And I don't know if he just freezes up in that moment. If he can't do the spatial relationships between who's coming after him and how much time he has left. But you just don't see that that urgency to make a decision, even if it is get out of the pocket and throw the ball past the line of scrimmage out of bounds so it's not intentional grounding. You take the incompletion and you move on to the next play instead of getting sacked. So, And I know it's a lot to process. When you're in the middle of that storm, you know it as well as anyone, you've been in the middle of that storm with all the stuff that's going on, the pre-snap reads and the adjustments and what's going to happen when I get the ball. Can I trust this running back to pick up a blitzer if there is one? Is my offensive line going to crumble? Is somebody going to be open, the first guy, the second guy, the third guy? Now somebody's coming after me. What am I going to do? How much longer can I hold this ball? What do I do now? What do I do now? What do I do now? I just feel like Daniel Jones gets caught up in that vortex of what do I do now? What do I do now? What do I do now? I, I, I don't disagree. He's gotten better, though. I think that's the big thing. You know, we haven't seen, you know, the – the Statue of Liberty, strip sack fumbles, like totally oblivious of the rush, looking down the field. That hasn't been a thing this year, right? It's been better. He is better. moving a lot more. Right, he he's is. moving a lot more. He is. I think he's, you know, I'm sure Brian Dayball has shown him film of Josh Allen up there and going, hey, I mean, get out of Dodge. You know, I'm sure Brian Dayball's told him, listen, we don't have a ton of receivers and a ton of talent. you got to make some plays. You're going to have to do it. You know, and Mike, yeah, you're right. You sit there and watch, and there's a lot where you go, oh, gosh, throw it away. I mean, I'm hoarse because I was yelling at yelling at him last night going, watch out, throw it. I mean, I was doing that the whole night. I really was. But at the same time, too, when the offense doesn't have much to offer and you know your legs and you scrambling like this right here and maybe, wait, maybe somebody will come open. You know, that's the way you have to play, play after play after play. Yeah, you know, at times you, you cut it close there. But you know, that that that's it's not easy playing quarterback for the New York Giants right now. It's not. And you know, you couple that with bad offensive protection and then a receiving core that, you know, was noticeably not in the same class as CD Lamb or Noah Brown. Like they don't look the same in person. No one's scared of Sterling Shepard. I hope he's okay after his injury or the other he's cast not. of characters. I know he's not. So but the, oh, I just didn't know if you got the update. No, what is the update? Saw. What is no. it? How bad? Serious I just, knee injury. Yeah. Serious knee injury, uh, likely out for the year. Yes. I mean, it was obvious when I, he's just, it just like, he wasn't even doing anything. And he just fell down and grabbed his left knee. He tore, it looks like, I, I don't want to be yeah. one of the folks who diagnoses injuries based on what we see on TV. But whatever it was, it was nothing. It was just, you know jogging moving leg route. got caught in the turf and something not went even wrong, that or, yeah not even that it was it looked like sh got shot in the knee that you know what i mean just like that sudden right and just went down just down on the ground yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah that's a shame it's a shame because he's the one guy that daniel jones is comfortable with you, know, you could see that when he scrambles or it's a big moment they look for sterling shepherd you know but i think that also says the the state of the receiving core they need katarius tony back Sterling Shepard is like, you want him to be your number three option in your offense, not your number one go-to guy. 
So that's also where, you know, again, I feel for, for Daniel Jones, and here is the injury. Yeah, you're right. I didn't I didn't see this. Wow. I mean, no, just look. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, you're right. No cut or anything. Just kind of looks back, and the knee, the knee goes, and that's it. Um, man, it's a shame. It really is. But, yeah, the Giants, it's, it's going to be ugly for them all year long. This is the way they're going to have to play. I mean, that's what it, I was telling, telling the fans in the stadium that last night. Like, listen, this is ugly. It's, uh, Graham Gano might be the best player we got. We just got to ride him and play that way. And uh, it's, it's going to be, you know, hopefully some more ugly victories in the future. But the Giants don't have the horses to think that they're going to be special in the NFC. Saquon would beg to differ. Yeah, he he's that there. guy. I'm, well, you're right. He's, he is, but that, that's, that's not enough to get it done. You know, not compared to when you talk about the Cowboys, you've got a few guys on offense, a few guys on defense. The Giants, you know, it's limited when you start n- n- naming names. Well, and I'm, I'm looking at the receivers last night, the targets, the receptions. Sterling Shepard led the way with 10 targets and five catches for 49 yards. All three categories, that was the top. Then you've got Saquon Barkley. Then you start having to think, what's this first initial? Who's this guy? Daniel Bellinger, right. I think. Richard there you James. go. Like, that's, they're so obscure, you have to there stop go. and think, what's their first name when you only get the initial letter? And then there's Kenny Galladay. Right, and then you the get to that. The bottom. Right. Three targets, no catches. He had one in his hands, and he was turning to run. Late in the game, yeah, third turned down. The run before he secured it, and out went the ball. He could have extended the drive there. Also. That was a killer, and and what what a what a bad investment oh. from the former GM Dave Gettleman. Thank and, you for that. And, and I remember, I remember when that happened, Chris. No one else was in the, in the ballpark, right, Mike? It was not even close. Right, bidding against air. It was just like, hey, we got this money, and we got to go get somebody. He's available. Let's sign him. It's just amazing what a disappointment he's been for the Giants. And, hey, to his credit, he got paid based upon what he did with the Lions, but it just isn't working with the Giants. And there's been some chatter that maybe he could be traded. Uh, but now, now, now they're going to they need him. They need Kadarius Toney. They need somebody to step up. It can't be David Sills right. converted. I think he was a quarterback at West Virginia, became a receiver, was undrafted. When I saw his name, David Sills, I, I remember thinking, surely that's not the guy that yeah. It is. Receiver at West Virginia. Right. He's hung around long enough to his credit. He's worked his way into the rotation. He had four targets last night as well. But uh, uh, you mentioned him earlier. He fell down on that route to uh, – Yeah. The, uh, or somebody mentioned it was a day ball. Day ball. Fell the down interception. On that route. It was day ball. Right. Yeah. Um, so, they just – but what can you do? I know. We are – in the throes of the season, it's not like you can just push a button and starting receiver walks through the door. No, you're you're right. This is gonna be this is gonna be them all year. You know, this is you know, unfortunately it's like hey, Dave Gettleman left us a lot of gifts that'll keep on giving the whole year. That that's what we got here. We got a lot of crap on the roster. We do. They're doing it right. They're making chicken chicken salad in our at a you know what right now. With the way Brian Dayball and, and Kafka are, are coming up with the offensive game plans, Wink Martindale and his defensive game plans, they're creative, they're keeping them in it. But, you know, you go through the defense, Mike, there's not much difference there in that conversation. We talk about Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, they got to do it all on defense. You know, there, there's no marquee name to talk about. There's nobody that got close to Cooper Rush last night. He never even ever had a scramble or move in the pocket or throw a ball under pressure. Think about the game. Think about it, right, Mike? When you sit there, you go, 
You know, well, you, oh, you are right. Because I was sitting there, like, because without replay, I'm sitting there going, all right, Layla, let's make sure I'm been keeping track of the things that are going in the game. And I'm just going, man, every time Cooper Rush drops back, it's perfect pocket. It's let me stand there and pat and bake a cake, and then I'll throw to the guy that's open. So, you know, that, the Giants are, are a rebuilding football team that's coached well and kind of tricking us right now with their 2-1 two and one, two and one, uh, record. The loose equation for determining how good a defensive player is is how often you hear his name get called right right name. Mike. yeah and and the only time your guy Kayvon Thibodeau was mentioned during the game mm-hmm. was when Joe Buck said he hasn't really done much in his debut he had 37 snaps and I don't think he did anything at all last night I'm looking at the defensive stats here I see for Thibodeau one tackle uh oh and he, he defended a pass but uh other than that no quarterback hits no, yeah, obviously no sacks. Uh, they they need him to deliver on that potential they saw in him that made him a top ten pick. And I know he was injured, but I know you've not been a believer in that pick from the get go. No, I, I you know I, I'm I'm not. You know nothing last night changed it. Nothing the way he looked in the preseason. I know he got hurt, but we saw enough to go. You know, just a pop to your eye. Yeah, I'm concerned. You know, yes, yeah, the number five pick of the draft. That's, you got to strike gold when it's the number five pick of the draft, and it's a position that's. You know, a desperate need for the Giants football team. I mean, it's a, a a position that Giants fans are thirsty for. I mean, we're we're dying for our next, you know, LT Michael Strahan, somebody who's a disruptive sob on the D line. And right now, there's nobody there to speak of. You know, there's no top tier linebacker to speak of. There's no big time corner or safety to speak of. You know, so that's where when you start to really like lay it out and talk about the football team, you start to realize, yeah, there's not a lot there. There's not, and they're just, you know, they're kind of like I said, trying to rebuild on the fly and be respectable and tough here, and they're they're that at least. But uh, yeah, I don't know how long this can get it done, or they can stay above 500 with you know that current formula and just executing and and the coaches tricking it up a little and winning ugly games. It's going to be a tough road, I think, for the Giants. You mentioned Lawrence Taylor and used the label disruptive SOB. You know that's not how he signs his name. Uh, disruptive they, mofo. What they, what they <laughs> no, a bad, bad M dash, 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 F dash. That's what they need on defense. <laughs> You're right. That's what they need. Exactly. And everybody would like to have it. They're just not hard to come from. The bad MFs are, are not easy to find. Um, I think we could do a whole segment on Wednesday after further review based on some of the calls from last night's game. We had the play earlier, and you saw as much of it during our show as you saw during Monday Night Football. This is not a criticism of the broadcast, although I guess it is. When Daniel Jones got hit along the sideline, yeah, and and then Sterling Shepard came off the bench to commit an offsetting foul, which wiped out the oh, run, fifteen yards, the extra fifteen yards. Right. I mean, unbelievable. But we never really got a good look at it. And credit to John Perry for pointing out the thing that we know that we don't hear very much on the broadcast this year, that they have changed the emphasis. That's right. Basically, it's run at your own risk if you're a quarterback. And right. I say that, people are like, oh, you want quarterbacks to get injured. It's like, no, they're telling the quarterbacks, you don't get a free pass anymore. Right. When you're going to tiptoe along the sideline and act like you're going out of bounds, but don't go out of bounds, you know, because of that dynamic where guys are cheating for another five or ten yards, I know it's not cheating, 
but you are kind of, you're taking unfair advantage of the rules. You are. Protect you right. by acting like you're going out of bounds. Guy pulls up and you run for another five or ten yards. That's BS. That's weak sauce. It is. And guys were doing it. Yes. So now, now what happens is you're fair game. Until you're out of bounds, you're fair game. And, and I can't tell. It does look to me like it probably was over the line. But but that's the it's that's close the enough. problem. Where yeah. where is the balance? And yeah. if it was a running back, that's what I always ask myself, Chris. I think if it that's was a running point. back right. with that flag have come out, and that's what the officials need to ask themselves. If this was twenty six right. instead of Daniel Jones, would right. I throw the flag here? I think that's 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 the point. I think when you put it that way, you go, No. If that was Tony Pollard or Zeke Elliott or Saquon Barkley or CeeDee Lamb, nobody's throwing a flag there. And you're right. We we heard from the referees. This is a point of emphasis. We see it. We saw it too much. We've seen it with Mahomes and Allen, who have really taken advantage of it. Tiptoe. I'm going to go out of bounds, and then they tiptoe up the sideline for nine more yards. I, you know, I, I was shocked that they didn't pick up this flag. I really was. I mean, this was close. And then you know, watching it in slow motion, you know, certainly is is maybe makes it a little, a little worse than than I thought in person. Um, but. Uh, you're right. As soon as it happened, I went, and they were convening on the field, and you know, I, I had you know some gentlemen around me going, "What are they looking at? What are they looking at?" I was going, "I don't know. They might not call this because you know quarterbacks are taking advantage of this too much." Uh, this one's close, though. I don't think I have as much of a problem with it, you know, as actually I thought seeing it in person. In person, I thought, "Wow, I'm shocked they called it." Watching it here on replay, it does look like that right foot is down, and he was like clearly going out so that that might have pushed it and they might have got that one right but damn then the Giants mess it up by coming off the sideline look 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 left foot's in I and know. he's hitting him before the right foot's down like like yeah where, where, look you're right I, I mean they hit you know I hear you you might be Mike you're, you're right I don't think if it's Saquon I think it's called I'm with you now, right but here's the difference right. too Chris if it is Saquon he's not he's not going to hit the deck like Jones did. Right. And and we're wired to react differently when we see the quarterback do that. First of all, Saquon may not do that. He's going to he's going to survive that hit. Yeah, different. He's just going to keep running. Right. He's going to glance off of it and keep going. And that's where you wonder, could Daniel Jones was that enough of a hit that Daniel Jones needed to wipe out like that or is that part of what they're doing to sell the 15? I don't know. I think he's getting tripped know. too, like the back leg goes over the yeah. other leg there, watch, you know, so it kind of knocks him and then makes it like real sloppy. Uh, and, you know, again, hey, quarterbacks are usually a little longer and a little more gangly than the the running back who's Saquon Barkley, for instance, what, 5'10", 5'11", 230 pounds, where, yeah, they're they're built to take those shots a little that, bit. That but. shoulder hit's not going to put Saquon Barkley on the ground. No, so exactly right. that flag. Exactly That's right. really the key. And, and I don't know, it's a chicken and the egg thing because – the running back doesn't draw the flag because the running back doesn't end up on the ground the way that the quarterback does, regardless of who the quarterback is. The running back is more likely to keep going. And I, I just it's it's something that I, I think officials are gonna continue to wrestle with because of all the protections that apply to the quarterbacks when they're in the pocket, when they're behind the line of scrimmage, when they decide to take off and run, it's easier said than done. And I talked to a coach about this. The issue came up early in the season, before the season, and the reaction was, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. As it relates to whether or not they really are going to hold the flags and not throw them in circumstances where they wouldn't throw the flag if it was a running back. I have a feeling It'll be interesting. that's not going away. Yeah. Now, now maybe maybe the, the, the cheap little run for an extra five or ten yards is going to go away, and maybe somebody's going to get blasted sometime when they try to do that. 
and they're not going to draw a flag. But it's also hard to do when it's in real time and the bodies are moving. That's the other thing. Because you've got to commit to go hit the guy. That's what we see. We saw it with Jalen Hurts last Monday night. That's why we were talking about it last Tuesday. We saw it with Patrick Mahomes in that AFC Championship game against the Titans. It doesn't take much to paralyze a defensive player from going and applying a clean legal hit that is aimed at putting the guy on the ground or knocking him out of bounds. No. And you start being tentative, and that guy's just going to zip right by you. Yeah, agreed. It, it, I, I think we're both on the same page here. I think we'd err on – we'd like to see – I'd like to see that not called, really. I think that's that's what we'd like to see. The defense is already at enough disadvantages in the NFL. It is. It's hard enough. There's so many times where they get called for unnecessary roughness there, you know, and, and, and it, it is a tough situation. You're right. What's he supposed to do there? He's committed. He's trying to beat a guy to the spot. You know, and then it gets to the spot where he goes, well, wait, the guy's still in bounds. I got to start, you know, protecting myself and lower my own body here to a degree. And then what? In the middle of that, like you're saying, at a million miles per hour, a guy kind of steps out and it's slow motion. It looks, you know, worse than it really is. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I, I, I hope they like continue to enforce that rule properly. I do. I, mean, I don't think you it's think fair. about the way that yeah. the human body works. A message has to go from, and I know it's instantaneous through the synapses and the central nervous system and all that, but still, you've got to have the thought form in your mind. Oh, I need to pull up now. I need to put the. I need to slam the brakes on, and it's not easy to do. You're trying to get to the spot. The guy, and if you and if you pull up, that's the problem. If you pull up, the guy's going to keep going. He's going to keep dancing down the sideline if he doesn't think the hit is coming. So the hit has to come or he's going to keep going. And then how do you stop it when you've already committed to it? That's where it's unrealistic and it's unfair to defensive players. All right, let's take a break. Injury updates, including a scary situation for Browns pass rusher Miles Garrett. It did not happen on the practice field. We'll discuss that when PFT Live presented by Google Pixel continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 